Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Two missing juveniles. We had a sense of urgency. We need to find them. Liberty, Roseland, German. Something's different about this. Abigail Joyce Williams. Can they make it through the night? Last seen at the High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana. What are we going to find down here? What am I going to see? Libby's afraid of the dark. She would not choose to be out here if something wasn't wrong. And he said, Carrie, they've, they found the girls. And I had like a split second of, oh, thank God. Joining us today is one of the hosts of podcast Down the Hill, The Delphi Murders, Barbara McDonald. Uh, the podcast takes a deep dive into the case of Liberty German and Abigail Williams in Delphi, Indiana. So welcome, Barbara. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this case. Well, it's an important case. It is. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and maybe give a little bit of background and talk about some of the projects you're involved in? Sure. So I've been a journalist uh, off and on for most of my career. I started out actually as a flight attendant for Hawaiian Airlines. I was born and raised in Hawaii and uh, did that for a while and went to college at the same time and decided what I really wanted to do was get into journalism and write. And so that's what I did. And I worked in local news for a long time. I anchored the morning news I've reported, I've shot sports, I've done a little bit of everything. And uh, I found myself at HLN and really getting uh, to dive into more of the, the true crime storytelling. And that's what we've done with this story with the Delphi murders. And it's been a, a passion project of mine. It's a case that the minute it happened back in 2017, I remember just connecting to it so easily because these were two girls who just went out for a walk in the middle of the afternoon and nothing should have happened to them, but it did. It, something really horrible happened to them. And I remember being the same age and just having so much freedom to explore my community with my friends. And my mom always thought if I was with a girlfriend that we were fine, you know, safety in numbers. And uh, so I just really appreciate this opportunity to talk about this this case and and give it some attention on its fourth anniversary. Well, this is a great opportunity for me to get to get this out there. This has really captivated the entire nation, this case. Yeah, yeah. from Australia, from England. Uh, I know even at one point talking with the um, public information officer for Indiana State Police, he had calls from like Latvia and Romania. I mean, literally all over the world. Yeah. So I read somewhere that you've been to uh, Delphi several times, and I heard it's just beautiful there. It is. It's a really lovely uh, small community. It's a town of about 3,000 people. It's about halfway between Indianapolis and Chicago. 
along interstate, I believe that's 65, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I've been there about six times now, at different times of the year. And the people are, are lovely there. They're very welcoming, although they're very firm with the media that they expect you to cover this story from a position of respect and honor of these girls. And as long as you do that, uh, people are very welcoming, but they do make it known that they are watching. And, and that's an important piece of the story as well. That's great because it doesn't seem like this story has gotten the type of coverage that some other stories get. It's just been respectfully covered by every medium that I've read and seen. So I know that the police have been pretty quiet about any leads or evidence that they have. And I respect that. I think it's great. They don't want to do anything to harm the case. Well, and that's, you know, that's an important point. And it's something that I think a lot of people who watch the case, who follow it, want something to be released, want more information, thinking that that's going to end in naming who did this or making an arrest. But for law enforcement and the prosecutor involved in this case, they're not looking at naming a suspect or making that arrest. They're looking at the long game of making a conviction. And that's what they're focused on. And so, yeah, they say that by releasing more information now, it could absolutely jeopardize that long game. Yeah. Yeah. That's very respectful to do that. And I have no doubt that they're going to solve this. I mean, as, as I've read, it seems like the, and we'll get on to the prosecutor that you spoke to, but he seems very confident that it's going to be solved. Everyone we talked to is very confident it's going to be solved. Um, some worry that it might be a while before that solution comes to fruition, but that there is a lot of confidence among the investigators, among the families, and among the prosecutor that, yes, this case will be solved. I really hope that they're right. I I hope that they do know a whole lot more than we do and are a lot closer to that because I've seen the pain of these families and um, while an arrest and a conviction isn't going to take that pain away, it it will bring some level of healing and allow them to get to that next level, I think. Yeah. So that brings me on to the next issue. Didn't Did I hear this correctly, that you just happened to run into, now let's see, what's his name, the prosecutor? Nick McClelland. Nick, Nick McClelland. Did you happen to bump into him on a trail? No, uh, it it wasn't quite like that. We um, we did have somebody make a a, a phone introduction to oh, uh, okay. him first, uh, but then he agreed to meet us on a street corner. Oh, to okay. See I... whether or not he wanted to agree to to an interview. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, so we met him on the street corner. Drew and I, my my producing partner, uh, Drew Iden, and uh, we talked to him for about 15 minutes. And, you know, he was concerned that he wasn't going to give any new details of the case. And he said, so I don't want to do an interview where I'm just saying no comment, no comment. And I said, I think that there's areas that you can talk about. And so he agreed to an interview and, and it's one of the few he's done. Well, that's great that you got, you were able to get that. But I think that probably what I've gotten from this is that you have gotten the trust of the people there in the community because you've spent so much time with them. I mean, you've spent time with the family as well. I mean, 
Didn't you say that you went to uh, Louisiana with them? Uh, yeah. We went to CrimeCon. Yeah, we were at CrimeCon together in New Orleans um, in 2019 in the summer. And that was a, a really interesting opportunity for me to not only we were there to work with them and do a panel discussion for the people attending CrimeCon about this case, but it was also an opportunity to see them in action manning a booth, talking to people about the case and, and trying to get people to look at the flyer, look at the sketch and, and look at the evidence that they do have in this case. I didn't realize they had gone to that. I believe they've been to every single crime con, starting with the first one that I think was in Indianapolis. Oh, okay. That's great. It just sounds like they're very proactive. and They are, and it's not a role that they relish but it's a role that they feel that they they have to do. The police aren't going to solve this by themselves. Uh, somebody knows who this man is, who did this to these two girls. And um, they take it very seriously that they need to work hard at getting that message out. And they do. And law enforcement has said that they really do believe that a lot of the reason that this story has resonated so much with the public is because the family members have been so open. I just had a couple of questions and maybe I missed it in the podcast because you know how sometimes you get a little bit distracted, but I was in a 10 part podcast. It is, but for the most part, it really did hold me captive. So what really kind of confused me about the developments in this case is when the first sketch that they did of this suspect suspected perpetrator, the picture, it was so different from the, the last one they did. He was older. And then the most recent one, he looks 20 years younger. I mean, can you explain what, what happened with that? What was that all about? It's, it's an interesting thing that gets discussed a lot. And, and even my partner, Drew, and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on this issue. Drew agrees that these two sketches look nothing alike and are of two completely different people. I see a lot of similarities between the two sketches. Uh, granted, the first one that was released back in 2017 does show a man who appears to be in his 40s or 50s. He's a little bit heavier set. He's got darker features. The second sketch is not as detailed as the first sketch. It's a little more of a crude drawing, a little more basic. And it shows somebody much younger with curly hair. And um, what on the surface can look like very different features until you really look at the two sketches together. And people have done overlays of them. And there are a lot of similar features between the two sketches. Hmm. So they haven't really come out and said what they're reasoning. They're keeping that close to the cuff as well. We know that the sketches came from witness testimony. Uh, oh, we have okay. not had an opportunity to talk to those witnesses ourselves. They are pretty well locked down and not talking publicly. But, you know, we were talking with Becky Patty, uh, Libby's grandmother, on this last trip that we were in Delphi as we were putting together this documentary for HLN. And one of the things that, that she said that makes a lot of sense to her is that if you have, say, a younger witness who's, say, a teenager, they might look at a man who's in his 20s or 30s and think that he's older than that. 
Whereas if you have a witness who might be in their 40s or 50s or, or even older, they look at a suspect the same age and the person could look like a teenager to them. So it's possible that these people saw the same person and it's different interpretations of that person. You know, Doug Carter from Indiana State Police, the superintendent says he thinks when this person's caught, they're going to look like somewhere between the two sketches. So is that because it's the same person, different age impressions of the same person? We don't know yet. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but it's I guess it's all perspective, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I remember when I was young, I thought 30 was old, old right? <laughs> exactly. Right? No, I, I no, mean, if you're 15, you know, somebody who's 30 is, is old. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a good that's a good point. So on this two-part series, I'm going to ask you to talk about that a little bit. But first, I I know that we're all dying to know, is there going to be some new details released? The series coming There's this weekend? some new information that we've been able to piece together. Not a lot of new information. Obviously, if law enforcement was going to release something um, huge in the case, they would have a press conference and it would be something that probably everyone would get at the same time. Um, but we did talk with the sheriff and I think it's one of his more revealing interviews. I think he goes places uh, talking about the evidence that he hadn't before. And we got the prosecutor, Nick McLeland. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't talk about the, this case uh, because he's preparing for the day he will talk about it in court. But, you know, he agreed to give us a rare interview. So there are some new nuggets. I also got to visit the, the crime scene for the first time. And it's uh, something I've been wanting to do for a while as I piece together this story. And uh, that came together on this trip. So that's also in the TV special. Oh, that will be interesting. I bet that was, I bet that was surreal. Walking, walking where Abby and, and Libby, they spent their last moments there. It was surprisingly peaceful. It's a beautiful piece of land right along the creek, a uh, flat area that we were able to walk it with the property owner, Ron Logan. Uh, he didn't want to be on camera, but he did talk to us. He spent quite a bit of time with us that day. You know, even he said this is, was such a beautiful piece of land, and then this happened. Weren't they found on his property? Yes. Is that the one? Okay. Yes. He spoke in your podcast, right? In one of your episodes? No, he did not. We uh, we did try to talk to him. Oh, um, okay. He, Where did I... um, he's... In the very beginning when this happened, he was very open and giving a lot of people tours of the area, talking to media, and uh, he's had some, some not pleasant experiences in his life as a result, and he doesn't really want to deal with the media much anymore. Well, I don't blame him. I Did I read correctly that, that he was a suspect at one time, or... Or was that just where sure everybody in town was? Uh, they were found on his property, and he did give some inconsistent statements in the beginning, according to law enforcement, about where he was. But he has been checked out. He has not been named a suspect ever in this investigation. And, you know, he, I think, would like for this not to have ever happened on his land. Oh, I can imagine. You would, you would never feel the same about your property. That would be the, 
that would be what you would think about every time you went into your and he's lived there since I forget what year he moved in but it was like in the early 50s so he's been there a very long time yeah that is a long time so I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because I was curious so Libby I believe it was Libby she used her camera to take a picture and she was able to get some audio with her with snapchat and i know it was touched upon in the podcast what is your opinion as to why she did that was she just happened to be filming or did she have the wherewithal to know that there was something up with this man and she needed to get him on film somehow i'm not positive why she initially hit the record button i've heard from investigators and family members who who see it both ways, that either she was just recording her and Abby having a good time and he walked into the frame. And I think once he made his approach, regardless of why she was recording, she knew I need to get him on film. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I need evidence of this man. And so I I do think what she did was heroic, regardless of whether she had started the video initially just to make a fun video, it changed and her intention changed. Well, it's so interesting because how many cases do you have where you actually get a picture of the perpetrator and a recording and yet we they haven't found him yet? I mean, that's mind boggling. It's frustrating. It's frustrating for the families. It's frustrating for the investigators. That's something that you you sense in your interviews with them that that they're frustrated too. They want this solved. It's not like they're sitting around finding other things to do and not getting to this case. They're working this case. But this kind of investigation takes time. Well, I heard one of the officers say, I think it was an officer on one of the episodes of the podcast, say, this is not a cold case. They don't consider it a cold case. They're actively working on it. And they still are. The prosecutor told us they're still serving search warrants, that he works this case every week. He knows of four investigators that are working it every day. Tips are still coming in, which means they're getting new information, which they have to check out. Uh, The sheriff also told us that they're still looking at the video, that there could be more uncovered on the video with technology. Right. Now, I guess some, I guess it's been a little bit criticized that they couldn't do more with that video. I, I can't remember if it was on your podcast that I heard that. And it's like, geez, there's only so much they can do with that Snapchat video, right? I mean, we've got the best technology possible but that's one of the problems is that your phone depending on how you how you pick up video if your phone picks up something say from a distance and you're zooming in on it 
there's only so much detail there. You can't just keep zooming in and getting more and more detail. At some point, you lose all detail by zooming in. And that's what they're dealing with. This was something, I don't believe it was a case where the man was right in front of her and she was able to hold her phone up and get a clear image of him. I think this was something that he came into the space in which she and Abby were on the bridge. It concerned her and she tried to get video of him as surreptitiously as she could, which because they found the phone, an argument could be made that she did a really good job of that, that he didn't know she had a phone. Absolutely. I mean, did she, did she put it in her pocket or how did she? We don't know. That's uh, oh, a lot so of- Oh, they haven't really mm-hmm. released that, how they were able to find her phone or anything? No, we like just that. know that it was found in the vicinity of the bodies. Um, I so- mean, you would think that he would know that young girls have cell phones and that, I mean, but seriously, how could he figure that she would have the wherewithal to film him? I mean, but this guy, he did it in broad daylight. Broad That's daylight, middle of the afternoon. And it is, a, isn't it a po- pretty popular area? It is. And, you know, this was one of the first warm days of the the season. It had been, you know, winter and cold and uh, the temperature was about 46 or 48 degrees, which isn't on its own warm, but when you're used to it being zero or 10 degrees, 46 is very warm. And uh, it was sunny and the girls had the day off from school and there's not a lot to do in Delphi. There's no mall, there's no movie theater. So they wanted to go out and walk. And, you know, the families felt like we'd rather them be doing that than sitting in front of a video game or in front of the television. So absolutely. I mean, you know, understandable. Yeah. Right. It's two middle school girls, 13, 14 years that's old. A healthy, They're that's together. a healthy activity. Exactly. And that's how the families felt. And uh, they were only meant to be there for a few hours. And uh, it went horribly wrong. And I'm going to have you talk about the two part series. It's going to be this weekend. I'm going to go ahead and let you. Just tell us a little it's bit about Sunday that. And, and Monday. Sunday, Monday. So Fe- February 14th is what the anniversary of? It, that's the anniversary of the bodies being when found they were found. The investigation okay. really kicking into high gear. Yeah, they, okay. they went missing on February 13th and uh, they went missing around 2.33 in the afternoon. And uh, the search began around 5.30 that night. And then their bodies were found about noon the next day. Okay. Now that brings me to another question too. So have they released, I mean, was it a search party that found probably? It was a volunteer search party. Yeah. And um, yeah. And it sounds like there might've been maybe two search parties sort of coming from different directions around the same time and and getting into that area. I, I think it was an area that they had identified as, as not being very well searched the night before And so now that they had daylight, it was the next day, the fog had lifted. It was time to go in and search that area. So the girls were found fairly quickly. Well, that's good. I mean, I guess they were found quickly. The parents, the family didn't have to go through days and weeks and months of not knowing. I I mean, it's all horrible. But yeah, that is a, a conversation I have had with one of the family members because she does some advocacy with with other families that go through tragedy. And, and she has said that, like, you know, is is that better that 
that we got, we at least found them. I mean, it, it's all horrible when you're dealing with murder and, and kidnapping and, and people being, your loved one being missing. It's just a horrible, horrible thing, regardless of how it plays out. Right. I mean, I think we can sort of maybe imagine, but unless you've gone through it, those of us that have kids or even just any family member, it must be just a nightmare. I don't know how they can, you can sleep or eat or anything. It is. And, you know, you think about these families, I mean, you think about your life right now, all the stuff you're dealing with, the bills, the problems, whatever is going on in your life. And then something like this gets added to it. These weren't people who were just, you know, relaxing, having wonderful lives and no problems. And then this happened. I mean, these were real people with real lives and nobody had time for this. Nobody wanted this in their life. Nobody saw this coming. It was a complete shock to everybody. And it's just not something that families should have to go through. People shouldn't be taking children from families but, you know, that's, that's where we are. People do these things. They do. And most of us just can't, you know, the, some of the cases I cover, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Where is this person coming from that, that is robbing another family of a, of a loved one? I mean, I don't think we can ever make sense. There's no good reason. So I guess there's no figuring it out, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about this series. You and your co-host. Yeah. So Drew and I went back to Delphi and um, we were back there in November for a couple of weeks and got some new interviews, uh, some new material. And uh, we added that to some of the best of the podcast and uh, put this together in just a beautiful documentary. It's, it's shot like a film. We did things much differently than we normally would as a news organization putting together a story like this. And uh, I really hope that it resonates with a lot of people. I had a conversation with the prosecutor, Nick McLeland, uh, yesterday or today. It's all a blur anymore. But he was saying he really hopes that people watch this and it jogs somebody's memory that, oh, yeah, you know, that thing it didn't make sense still kind of doesn't right. make sense and, and i've never told anybody about it but maybe i should we're going to be putting the phone number up the email address for tips and we really hope that people take the time uh the the family mike and becky patty libby's grandparents say all the time that one of the things that she used to always say whenever you'd ask her to do anything she'd say in a minute so okay. that's their expression is take that minute Take a minute and look at this information, look at the sketch, look at the photo from the video, listen to the man's voice saying guys down the hill and see if, if you know who this is and if you can help in any way, because somebody does know him and maybe they're afraid you can remain anonymous. Uh, there's a huge reward for somebody if you have information on who this person is. There's more than $225,000 riding on it. Um, oh, wow. So it seems like there's a lot of motivation a, for somebody. That's a big to, incentive. Exactly. You know, regardless of the reward, I mean, it would just be rewarding in and of itself to be able to. Um, bring a little bit of peace to these. Yes, families. bring some movement in this case or something. But speaking of the tip line and the email address, why don't you go ahead and give, if you have that there. Oh, I, hold on. 
I can pull if it not, up then I can, I can just put it in the notes too, if you don't have it. Yeah, let's put it in the notes. Um, okay. There, there is, uh, the email address is different than the, um, the, I believe it's an 844 number, um, which the phone number goes to the FBI, the email goes to the local investigators. Okay. Um, so I usually tell people, send your information to both. Uh, you won't always get a response. Even if you have good information, you might not hear from these people. That doesn't mean they didn't receive your, your message. I get a lot of people who call me and are like, can you make sure they got it? They got it. Let them handle it. Let them take that information and, and see where it goes. Right, so they're still getting uh, quite a few tips on, on this? They are, especially now, you know, with the anniversary, um, I'm sure that there are lulls in that. I don't think it's as active every single day as it was in the beginning, but certainly anytime there's an article in the paper or, you know, a story that HLN does or, or anybody else does that brings up more tips. And uh, that's what investigators say they need. They want those tips. Well, let's hope that my little um, podcast here can bring some some activity and then definitely tune into the series this weekend and let's hope that it brings some activity from there and then you'll have the tip line and the email address you said on there. Absolutely. And um, it it's also on my Facebook page. It's on my my Twitter account. The information is out there. Take a minute and look at it. I mean, these two girls did not deserve having this happen to them. Abby and Libby deserve justice. Their families deserve what little peace that justice will bring, um, but they need a break. Absolutely. And I, I would love to see that. So, okay. Well, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about Libby or Abby or about the, the series? I know there was one really touching part where one of her friends and I can't remember if it was Libby's or Abby's friend, but talked about how much she loved butterflies. And oh, that was, was Cynthia Rossi talking it was just, about the butterflies on the watermelon. Right. Eating watermelon. And it just, gave, it just gave me chills. Right. Yeah, she just, loved bugs, believe it or not. She loved the color purple. She was learning the keyboard, learning to make music. She loved arts and crafts. Uh, she was in the band. She was looking forward to playing softball and, from everybody we've talked to, she was just a delightful young woman and a very good friend. And she was going places. She had a bright future ahead of her, as did Libby. Libby was a smart, smart girl. She was into math and science. She wanted to get into forensic work. She oh, wanted geez. to use science to help people, either as some sort of a forensic investigator helping to solve crime or solving cancer, you know, finding cures to diseases. That was what she wanted to do with her life. And um, she was so loved. We have spent so much time with her family and celebrated holidays with them. And she is so present in their life every single day. She had a big personality and that still felt in her home and it's just sad that these two wonderful young women don't get to live their futures. They were robbed and we were robbed of whatever they could, have, they, I mean, they, they could have contributed positively exactly. to society just, and they would have had families and they would have been just lovely, lovely people. And they didn't get to do that. It's awful. It's sad and awful for the family. Once again, I just want to 
tell my listeners, please tune in this Sunday and Monday, the 14th and the 15th, right? 10 p.m. On, on HLN. And if you miss PM. one on the 14th, it replays just before part two on the 15th. Okay. Now, HLN, that's a cable. That's on cable, right? Yes. Okay. We're the sister network of CNN. So we're usually on your cable provider near CNN, usually okay. one or two channels above it. Okay. I really enjoyed the podcast and I'm sure that this Thank is you. just going to be for an enhancement. Yeah, yes, it is. I, I think this this takes the story further. Um, I think a lot of people are going to uh, who listen to the podcast are going to be interested to see some of the places that we visited and uh, see the area where this happened. Absolutely. It'll be so interesting. It's been fascinating to hear your first hand accounts of visiting Delphi and and spending time with the families. And I would love to interview you again when this case gets solved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully that's soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.